Welcome back to Cross and Who. My name is Hannon Kobe Sue. I'm your host, and we're live Saturday night from San Francisco, back at it again with some more NBA basketball. Tonight I'll be soloing it. Calvin will not be joining us. He is off on vacation, having the time of his life in Hawaii. I wish you the best of fun, my guy, when you're hearing this episode. But um, today we'll be having three segments. The first segment is on the NBA playoffs, how Calvin and I's predictions are standing right now. Segment number two on LeBron James. Which version of LeBron James is the best, number 23 LeBron or number 6 LeBron? And last segment, we'll be talking about who are the top five under 25 in the NBA. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Segment number one. NBA playoffs. My second round predictions are not looking so hot compared to Calvin's, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, in the West Coast, in the NBA playoffs, second round, uh, we got the Suns taking a commanding 3-0 lead over the Nuggets. And, and it's looking like the Suns will either sweep the Nuggets next game in Denver, or they will take them in five, uh, going back to home at Phoenix. And the other matchup in the West, we got the Jazz and the Clippers battling it out. After taking a 2-0 lead at home, the Jazz went to Staples Center in LA, and they got blown off the floor tonight by the Clippers. And right now, the Clippers are only down 1-2, and it's very likely that they will even it out. Um, Monday night against Jazz at home stables again. On the west, on the east coast, we got uh, the Sixers regaining control of the series against Trey Young and the Hawks. After the Hawks took a 1-0 lead, stealing Game One in uh, Philly, but now the Sixers taking Game Two and Game Three. And the other matchup on the east coast, we have. Uh, Bucks keeping their series alive down 1-2 after Brooklyn Nets took both games at their home uh, in Brooklyn. So now we have, we really have three pretty, we have two pretty closely contested series and the other two are pretty much decided as the flow of things are looking like. Uh, the Sixers and the Hawks, it seems like the Sixers will win. Um, you know, Trey Young and the Hawks, they they did a great job stealing game one, stunning the world. But it's just simple. There's no there's no answer for Joel Embiid. Uh, Clint Compella and John Collins are doing the best they can in slowing him down. But there's no answer. He's still getting his 30 and 20, 30 and 15. And Ben Simmons is still playing uh, more effective defense. Ben Simmons and Danny Green, more effective defense than the New York Knicks were playing on Trey Young. And overall, the Sixers are just a better team. They got better defense. They got better offense. They're more experienced in the playoffs. Um, and they, they know how to play off their superstars. 
So I don't think anyone will argue that the Hawks have a chance now. Uh, the series might go six games. Might. But I doubt it would go seven games. And that's something both Calvin and I both agree on. Um, and the other series, which I completely got it wrong. Um, Suns going up 3-0 on the Nuggets. Uh, I thought the Nuggets would take the Suns relatively easily. Uh, simply because the Nuggets have the MVP in uh, Nikola Jokic. Whom the Suns... Who, who who I thought would have been a matchup problem for the Suns. You know, uh, DeAndre Ayton is a great player. But just by looking at it, I knew if AD was healthy, Ayton could not have contained him. And now you have a fully healthy Nikola Jokic. Ayton shouldn't have been able to contain him. And the Nuggets play off Jokic. Jokic is the anchor of their offense. And... Um, if Jokic is playing well, the rest of the team plays well. And this is something that makes Jokic so special among uh, the league players, league superstars. There are superstars that play well themselves. But when they play well, that doesn't necessarily always mean that others around them will also play well. Uh, AKA players like Kyrie Irving, right? He could, have, he could be having 50-point games. It doesn't really translate to winning. Uh, look at his uh, his games in uh, Boston, right? Um, or in Cleveland before LeBron comes, right? You have guys like Kevin Love in Timberwolf, right? You have Zach Levine in Chicago Bulls. Um, you could be having great numbers, but it doesn't necessarily translate into winning. And there are guys that are that have when they are playing well, their team wins because the team. Uh, benefits off of them and those are guys like LeBron James uh, Luka Doncic uh, Ben Simmons and now you have Nikola Jokic who is one of those kind of guys and because I have so such high standards and admirations for Jokic I thought well Aiton shouldn't be able to contain him and if Aiton can't contain him he should be able to play well and if he plays well He's the type of player that will make everyone around him play well. I was right about first two parts of this of my three part hypothesis. Aiden wasn't able to contain Jokic. Jokic did play well. I mean last night he had a thirty two points twenty rebounds ten assists game. He did play well. But the guys around him did not play well. Um, Aaron Gordon was shooting breaks. <laughs> um, the only guy that Loglai was giving help for Jokic on the Nuggets was uh, Barton off the bench coming uh, off an injury with a limit, minute restriction. And while the Suns are playing some inspiring basketball with CP3 as their engine. I mean, Chris Paul was tearing the Nuggets defense apart with his passing and with his orchestrating. Um, he knows just how to control the tempo of the game, right? Slow down the game when he gets to the lead, right? He knows how to um, draw fouls. Uh, Richard Jefferson, ESPN, pointed it out uh, on his commentating last night when he was... Uh, 
commentating on the game, he, he pointed out clearly, when the Suns are in the bonus, CP3 knows that it's time to draw fouls. It's, it's veteran experience, it's high basketball IQ, CP3's got it. And he knows how to get his younger players in the right places for the right opportunities to make great shots. And just his presence on the floor makes everyone around him, all these young players around him, right? Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne, uh, Macau Bridges, Devin Booker, all these young guys, DeAndre Ayton, CP3 on the floor, these young guys that should be shaking their legs, right, without any playoff experience on the big stage, they look calm and composed because they're general roles on the floor. And CP3 is so good on both ends of the floor, right, not only orchestrating, but making his own shots, that sweet mid-range J when needed, and defending, right, getting those steals, um, deflecting those passing links when needed so good that it's almost like possession by possession he is tearing down nuggets game plan slowly and slowly and in the end um, even in the heroic by Nikola Jokic it was not enough to slow down the Suns um, of course if the last offseason told us anything it told us that if there's anyone who can come back from a 3-0 lead, it will be Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets who came back 3-1, under 3-1 uh, uh, against the Clippers last year. So there's a chance I would give the Nuggets a 1% chance, but I would say CP3 has played so good that me, my prediction was probably wrong <laughs> before the series started. Um, the other two matchups, though, other two second round matchups. So I think the Sixers and the Hawks matchup and the Nuggets and the Suns matchup is not even close. But the other two matchups are interesting, right? The Clippers and Jazz, uh, they're going neck to neck right now. And both Calvin and I have played the Clippers to beat the Jazz at the beginning of the series, I think. Um, I had them... Uh, I had Clippers in seven. And the reason I had Clippers in seven is not because I have a bias towards the Clippers. You know, Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. I don't have that bias. <laughs> I think many of my basketball friends know that I was displeased, to say the least. And that's an understatement that Kawhi Leonard signed with the Clippers instead of the Lakers. But I think just objectively looking at the two rosters currently constructed Clippers are the superior team in terms of talent and that's because the Clippers first of all um, are a much deeper team the Jazz are a very deep team uh, I pointed it out um, in the earlier episodes uh, titled All the Jazz just going through about how deep this Utah Jazz team is but the Clippers are an even deeper team right um, you look at the starting lineup, right? You got Reggie Jackson, a natural-born scorer. You got, you know, of course, PG and Kawhi, your two superstars who are elite on both ends of the floor. 
You got Marcus Morris and you got Zubak, right? Who's a decent center. Boris is a vet, playoff experience, can shoot, can defend, can score, get his own baskets, right? You got Luke Kennard, who's a sharpshooter off the bench. You got Patrick Beverly, who's an elite defender, right? And you still got dogs like um, Terrence Mann, right, off the bench. And this Clippers team is playoff tested. It's experienced. And they have a good head coach. They they are much more motivated this year compared to last year. Much more humbler this year compared to last year. Um, offensively, almost no hole in their offense. Right? Can't shoot the three. Can't shoot the free throws. Unlike the Lakers. Um, they got guys that can make their own shots. Multiple playmakers. They still got Ronja Rondo. They still got Nicholas Batum. Right? Can defend at a high level. Even though not on Luka. <laughs> so, just currently constructed, the Clippers are a better team than the Jazz. But they are also, this Clippers team, has got to be some of the biggest chokers in the NBA history. Because with all that talent, and they displayed it in Game 1 and Game 2, they choked those two games away. Because in game one, the Clippers were up 13 by halftime, right? They were blowing the Jazz off the floor in the first quarter and second quarter of game one. But they choked that game away. You have the best two-wing defenders in all of basketball, self-proclaimed, right? Kawhi PG-13, right? You got Pat Beth, you got Nicholas Batum, you got Marcus Morris. How can you not stop? Spider Mitchell from scoring 45 on you, right? 18 points in the third quarter, going off, right? And then you have um, in a in the game two, you just got blown off the floor. Donovan Mitchell, 14 points in the first quarter, 13 points in the second quarter, and then when he was slightly colder in the second half, right? You got. Joe Ingles dropping threes on you. You got Badan Badanovic uh, dropping threes on you, right? And this Jordan Clarkson went crazy on you. The Clippers in game two had nine straight misses in the fourth quarter. And like six or seven of them were wide open shots. Wide open shots. One of them was a Kawhi tip. That he was like just at the rim. He all he had to do was tip the ball in. And when you if you saw the game live, he was nervous. He looked nervous. He looked uncertain. All you had to do was tip the ball in. He had the position. He had the uh, leap. He had the advantage. The defender was on the ground. He was in the air. All he had to do was just tip the ball in, and he missed point blank range. The Clippers are some of the biggest choker this NBA world has ever seen. Yet, they still are the superior talent. And they've demonstrated this tonight, blowing the Jazz off the floor. Almost a 30-point victory. And Kawhi and PG shows that when they are assertive, when they decide not to choke, they no one on the Utah Jazz can 
guard them, even though Bogey did a great job stopping Kawhi in Game Two. And Ingles, of course, is、uh, <laughs> Paul George's arch rival, right? And、um, Royce O'Neal is a great defender, but when they assert themselves, when they decide not to choke, the Clippers will not be stopped. So I think I still have the Clippers in seven, and the Clippers look like because of the, such a deep and talented team they are, have a, in my opinion right now, the best chance to get into the NBA Finals from the West. Now, I think the most interesting matchup in all the NBA playoffs right now is this Bucks versus the Nets matchup. And I predicted that Bucks will beat the Nets in seven games, and in Game One and Two, it looked like my prediction was completely wrong because the Bucks got blown off the floor, and without James Harden playing, it was crazy. And I was so mad at Giannis. I got so mad at Giannis. Because Giannis, you were the reigning defensive player of the year. Of course, Rudy Gobert was announced、uh, earlier this week. But Giannis Antetokounmpo, you're the reigning MVP. You're the reigning defensive player of the year. In the same year, and you got even better this year. Your statistics look says that you're just as good as last year, if not even better than last year. And you are not guarding Kevin Durant. You are making some some other guy guard Kevin Durant, like Drew Holiday's great defender, excellent elite defender, but he's not six eleven like you are. PJ Tucker is a tough defender, elite defender, can guard centers, right? He has the body, the weight to guard centers, but he can't move as fast as KD, right? You. Giannis, you are six eleven. You are just as tall as KD. You are just as long as KD. You can jump just as high as KD. You can move just as fast as KD. And you're probably stronger than KD. You have to guard Kevin Durant. He has to be the guy you look at every single possession defensively. You have to go look for him. You have to go. Take up the challenge to stop Kevin Durant because no one else can. And after game one and game two loss, you know I was I kept telling、uh, my friends, the Bucks got it, the Bucks got it. They all they had to do is make adjustments, and they made the right adjustments. They slow KD down in game three. He still had thirty points, but it was a hard thirty points. Right, it was a super close game. It was a super low-scoring game, and I think low-scoring games benefit the Bucks. Right, they don't want a shootout because they can't shoot as good as the Brooklyn Nets. But they did just the perfect thing for them to secure the win, which is don't let KD score, don't let Kyrie score, and try not to get、um, Joe Harris to score. And they got Bruce Brown shooting the last shot, which was amazing. Right, of course the Nets are still the superior talent because they have Kevin Durant, because they have Kyrie Irving. 
That is still two superstars. Two Bucks, one superstar. And they still have James Harden on the bench. Right? But the Bucks, as constructed, is the best team in the East right now. Because not only do they have an excellent offense, right? Giannis running it. Even though he's very limited in the playoffs, he can still get you 30 and 10, right? Just by layups and dunks, right? You have Chris Middleton, who's a three-level threat, right? Can shoot, can lay up, can drive, can um, do all kinds of things. You got Drew Holiday, playmaker, defender, right? Make that game-winning basket in game three. But they're elite defensively. I still think they are they are, they are the only defense left in the NBA that can stop the Bucks right now. Right? You have Drew Holiday can guard the wing. Giannis Antetokounmpo can guard KD, but he's just not doing it. He has to do it. And right, you still have Chris Middleton who's got a big body, you know, who can guard some of these guys. You still got PJ Tucker who was just two years ago, guarding all these centers. Not two years ago. Even last year in the bubble, who was guarding all these centers in the Western Conference, right? And you still got uh, tough guys off the bench, right? You got, you still got Brooke Lopez, who's a seven-footer, right? Can bomb threes, can guard the paint. Although he let Bruce Brown, <laughs> who is so small, shooting floaters over him. That, that cannot happen if you want to win. If the Bucks want to win the series, they have to do two things. Execute perfectly on the defensive end and pray that the Nets miss. Segment number two. Which LeBron James is the best LeBron James? Earlier this week, um, LeBron and Nike announced that LeBron will no longer wear number 23 in this upcoming NBA season. Instead, he will switch to number 6, which was his old number in Miami Heat. Uh, the number he always wore for his practice jersey in Cleveland, in Miami, and in LA. And that spurred up a debate um, everywhere, right? In first take... Uh, Max and Stephen A. Smith were arguing, who is a better, who, which LeBron James is the best LeBron James? So today I want to, I want to kind of evaluate which LeBron James is the best LeBron James. I'll kind of go through all four stages now that LeBron's career has went through, um, talk to each one of them, um, and then I'll pick what I think is the best stage of LeBron. So obviously we have stage number one, uh, LeBron's first go around Cleveland, number 23, the chosen one, right? The king, the savior of Cleveland, the next Michael Jordan, right? Cover of Sports Illustrated at age 16, the hometown hero, a athletic monster. Right, if you look at LeBron James in the 2009-2010 season, he was so fast, so strong, jumped so high, and he's so big. It's a combination of 
all four of those things. Because if you're like if you're that big of a player like LeBron is, you're not supposed to be this fast. You're not supposed to jump this high. Right? If you run this fast like LeBron is, like LeBron runs it, you're not supposed to be this big. He's the combination of all four of those things. What does that translate into? Unstoppable in transition. When you have 280 pounds, which was what LeBron was probably in his first go around in Cleveland in his younger days, before he turned 26, 27, he was a freak of nature. 280 pounds, running probably as fast as a cheetah down the floor with the force of an elephant running at you, jumped as high as Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and all those guys jumped. <laughs> Athletic freak. And and he was fearless, right? He was the only superstar on this team. And those Cleveland teams were trash, to say the least, but he put up historic numbers. And by the time, you know, if you just look at his first seven years in Cleveland, he's putting up numbers that some guys cannot even put if you give him two NBA careers right he was obviously already by year seven or year eight right 25 26 year old already one of the best players in the world already one of the best players in NBA history if he retired then so that LeBron James absolute freak of nature unstoppable force respected and feared by the whole league number six in Miami those four years the villain who made the decision right the most hated guy in the league burned jerseys everywhere in Cleveland booze right in Quicken Gnomes Arena taunted and challenged by all the stars in every single arena he goes but was so dominant right of course there was this meltdown in 2011 tarnished his legacy but his next two years where he won back to back best player in the world right still as big and as strong as fast and jumped as high as he did and ran as fast as he did in Cleveland but he was the best shooter he ever was in in Miami shot 40% from the three point line the only time he did it in Miami shot better than 80% from the free throw line the only time he did it in Miami there was a stretch where he shot 60% or better from the field so he was a 60 40 80 player in the stretch of basketball and he was a three-level threat legitimately and he was playing some of the best defense he ever played right he was he came very close to winning defensive player of the year you always say Marcus all stole it in 2012 2013 and this LeBron is basically Cleveland LeBron, the first go around, 
except even stronger, even bigger, a better shooter, a better defender. And now he's got the championships to prove that he's one of the best players all time. Second go around in Miami, four years, number 23. Now he's going back home. Fulfilling his promise to the city of Cleveland. Bringing a championship. First in 52 years. And play some of the greatest basketball of his whole career while losing in the finals. And this LeBron James. This stretch at those four years in Cleveland is probably the most polar rising stretch of his career because that was the stretch where he entered the greatest of all time conversation definitely definitively because in Miami yeah he won two chips right but the, by the time he left Miami he was two of two uh two of five in the NBA Finals, right? He won two, he lost three. He wasn't convincingly top 10 all time. He's definitely not top five all time in most people's standards, right? He wasn't better than Michael. He wasn't better than Magic. He wasn't better than Bird, Kareem, Bill, Chamberlain, all those guys. But because he pulled off that 3-1 comeback in Cleveland, Winning the first title in 52 years against a 73-9 team with a back-to-back MVP, unanimous MVP, right? The best offense that Lee has ever seen up to that point. Because he did that, that third chip, right? Even though he's three and four, right? Winning that third chip, right? Three wins, four losses, which is not a lot better than two wins, three losses. But because of the meaning and significance of that chips and because of what he did in the finals previous to that year, even though he lost, averaging 34 points, right? Carrying a team with Matthew Devil of Dover as the second best player to six games against Golden State. And then in 2018 in Cleveland, right? Kyrie Irving left Cleveland, right? The second best player was Kevin Love, right? Went on a tier in that playoff, right? Many people consider that the greatest playoff performance ever, right? Two buzzer beater game winners, 40-point games after 40-point games, 30-point triple-doubles after 30-point triple-doubles, 51-point in game one against Cleveland, uh, against Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals, dunked on KD, dunked on... JaVale McGee would have won that game if J.R. Smith didn't choke it and if uh, George Hill didn't choke that free throw. Because of all those heroic things he did, of course that 3-1 chip and the numbers he put up, the fear he instilled in his opponents, even losing, that made him in the golf conversation definitively. Before he went back to Cleveland. People are like, eh, maybe he's top 10. He's definitely not top 5. 
after he leaves Cleveland the second time, people are like, he's definitely top five. Most people say he's top three. And most people say he's either one or two. And depending on where you put him, you either hate him or you love him. Final stage of his career, he'll probably retire here. La La Land, Hollywood, where stars are, City of Angels, Los Angeles. With the greatest franchise in NBA history, Los Angeles Lakers. 17 chips, one of them won by LeBron with Anthony Davis. Another superstar, top five player in the NBA, went healthy. Best defender in the NBA, went healthy. Traded the farm to get him. Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart with like 69 first round picks. And all those guys, all those guys just to get the brow, right? Because the Lakers are known to have superstar bigs. In the bubble. The year Kobe Bryant passed away, right? With the doubt of the whole world pressuring over him because his first year he injured his groin. And people are saying KD is the best player in the world. People are saying Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the world. People are saying Giannis is the best player in the world, right? People are saying the Clippers are the best team in the NBA. There's no way LeBron can get through Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. The weight of the whole world on him, right? Short season, he was playing MVP numbers, and then the league gave the MVP to Giannis, right? It was in the bubble, can't see family, can't see kids, can't see fans. Somehow, pulled it off. Greatest AC ever, Trailblazers, gentleman sweep. Houston Rockets with two MVPs, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, gentleman sweep. Denver Nuggets, who just beat the crap out of the Los Angeles Clippers, who people claim are the best team in the league, gentleman sweep. Then Miami Heat would have been gentleman sweep if Danny Green did not miss that three, wide open three. That chip... Many people say it's a fraud. Many people say it's the hardest chip ever won. You can debate it all that you want. But that chip solidified LeBron. Top three all time. Most people will say he will either be one, two, or three. And depending on where you put him. Again, that just made him more polarized. Because of his first year exit this year. First round exit this year as well. Depending on where you put him, one or two, you will get hated or loved by Jordan fans. Man, <laughs> recounting LeBron's career makes me really want to see a 20-part documentary <laughs> similar to what uh, The Last Dance for Michael Jordan, except for LeBron James when he retires. Now, finally finishing, finishing off, which LeBron James was the best LeBron James? I got to pick second round, second go around in Cleveland. Because that LeBron James was not only still strong, 
still big, still fast, still jump high, even though people say he's not. You know, you got people doubting him, right? Uh, when he was down three one, Colin Coher was going there and saying, "Oh, LeBron will never score forty five points and have a triple double again, um, and win the game and carry a team." Right? You got people on Twitter saying, "Oh, thank God LeBron's thirty, his his BS game will not continue more any longer." I mean, yeah, he is a little slower than he was in Miami, but still fast enough to get that chase down block in Game Seven. He is a little skinnier than he was in Miami, but still big enough to shoot and shoot over、um, Demar Derozan, or dunked on KD and Javale McGee, or you know Joseph Nurkic. That LeBron was still in his athletic prime. That LeBron still can shoot when he needs it, right? First year in Cleveland, he was shooting horrible, right? Twenty-five percent from outside the paint during a stretch, worst shooter in the league. But when you need him to, aka in the playoffs, he will shoot it. He will make it, right? Look at game、uh, games five, six, seven, twenty sixteen. Look at. Um, the whole 2018 playoffs, he was making jump shots like no one has ever seen him make before. Back-to-back threes on Jason Tatum, right? All those crazy turnaround fadeaways on Toronto. He's he will play defense when you need him to chase down blocks, right? Steals, and. He still has his basketball IQ, probably even better than. Any time of his career, and most importantly, he's already proven himself with those two trips in Miami, and he knows, right? Anything he does from now on is just adding more to his resume, adding more to his legacy. So he does not have that burden to win the championship like, like he did in 2011 after he. Tarnish his legacy by losing to the Mavericks, where he's like, I still haven't won my first championship. He doesn't have that burden anymore. He already has two chips. He's already one of the best players of all time. Anything he does from this point on, he knows he's the best player in the world. Anything he does from this point on in Cleveland is just adding on to the resume. And he, when he pulled what he pulled off in 2016, make sure he's a top five player in the world. Anything he does from that on is just adding on to the resume. And the more and more he won or lost and did amazing things in Cleveland, the more and more, the less and less pressure is on him. He knows he's more and more proven. He knows he's getting closer and closer to MJ. The psychological burden on him is less and less, and you see the most confident. LeBron in Cleveland, right now LeBron in Lakers. He's, of course, even more proven than he was in Cleveland. But right now he's on his athletic decline. The first LeBron in Cleveland is too young, couldn't really shoot.、Um, not really super high basketball IQ. Even though he was a basketball IQ genius, wasn't as smart as he was in Cleveland and in Miami. The Miami LeBron was trying to prove things. And the young Cleveland LeBron was trying to prove things, 
the Lakers LeBron is kind of old. Athleticism wasn't there. That second go around, older Cleveland LeBron was still in his athletic prime. Can play defense. Supreme basketball IQ. Best player in the world. Already proven. Knows he is a historic great. And knows that anything he does is just adding things on top of what he has already done. Final segment. Top five players under 25 in the NBA right now. There are so many great players in the NBA. Young, talented, great players. And it's amazing because guys that me and my friends grew up watching, you know, the LeBron, James, Carmel, Anthony, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Stephen Curry, Blake Griffin, CP3, all these guys. They're going to retire within five years. And most of them. And we're going to want, we want new guys to step up, to take up the torch. Because we want to keep watching the NBA. We love this game. And it makes us so happy to see that there are so many young guys so good that they can take up the torch. Right? All of these players I'm about to list are under 25, and they are either all-stars or nearing all-stars. You have Ben Simmons, 24 years old. Luka Doncic, 22 years old. Jason Tatum, 23 years old. Carl Anthony Towns, 25. Um, Donovan Mitchell, 24. Devin Booker, 24. Zion Williamson, 20. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 26. He's slightly older. Jokic is only 26. De'Aaron Fox is 23. Jamal Murray is 24. Brandon Ingram is 23. John Moran is 21. You know, Chris Porzingis is 25. Jalen Brown is 24. John Collins is 23. DeAndre Ayton is 22. Bam Abadayo is 23. Shea Gilgis Alexander is 22. Lonzo is only 23. Colin Sexton is 23. And Patel Bridge is 24. All these young guys are so young. And they're so talented. And NBA players nowadays are so much more talented than players in, say, the 90s or the 80s. Because almost all the guys I just listed can do at least two of the following three things. Shoot, defend, and orchestrate offense. Right? You have Ben Simmons. He can't shoot, but he can defend. He can sure hell defend, and he can orchestrate really, really good. You got Brandon Ingram. He can't really orchestrate an offense, but he can shoot. Definitely he can shoot. And he can defend at a pretty high level, too, when he wants to. Right? You got guys like um, you got guys like Devin Booker. Oh, he can shoot. He can shoot. Right? You got Luka Doncic. He can shoot and he can orchestrate like almost as good as anyone has ever done in an NBA history. Right? So all these guys are not only talented. They have very, very well-rounded games. So it's so hard what I'm about to do. Top five under 25. 
Let's get it. Let's start with number five. And number five, I would have to go with John Morant. John Morant is 21 years old. And he is playing fearlessly. He reminds you of Russell Westbrook and Derrick Rose. You know, he's not that tall, very skinny, six feet one, I think, and like 179 pounds. And so fast, super fast, super athletic, can jump out of the building. John Morant is probably the only guy in the NBA who dares to challenge Rudy Gobert again and again. In game two, I saw in game two of a uh, second round of the NBA playoffs, the Clippers Jazz, I saw Kawhi Leonard choosing not to drive in the rim because he's he saw Rudy Gobert in there. John Morant is built different. He sees Gobert and he goes and try to dunk over him. He's six feet one. Gobert is seven feet. Gobert is the th- three times defensive player of the year. He says, I don't give a damn. I'm going to try to dunk over him. <laughs> He's built different. And he, his talent is off the roof. I mean, he can jump. He can score. He's a great scorer. Average 30 points in the first round against the Jazz. Excellent defensive team. And he's only 21 years old. So the combination of athleticism with his fearlessness, with his ceiling still very, very much high. John Morant, number five. Number four, very, very hard choice. But I got Zion Williamson. Zion is 20 years old. He's the most hyped number one play, uh, number one pick in the NBA draft since LeBron James in 2003. He still has not played a full NBA, full NBA season yet, 82 games. I don't think he has. But he is already averaging 25 points on 60% shooting. This guy cannot shoot. He can't shoot for the life of him. But this guy can sure dominate in the paint. And he is only 6'7". But he can jump off the roof. He can dunk from the free throw line. He's so strong. He reminds me of young LeBron James. right? He's kind of like LeBron and Simmons packed together. Except he can't pass as well as those two. But he is definitely so strong. So fast. Can jump so high. And just the level of talent combined with his ability to finish at the rim. And so young. And so humble. Right, being a number one all pick and with all the hype around you, you're still able to be so humble, sharing the ball with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. I think Zion, just shared sheerly by his talent, has to be on this top five list.
Number three, Donovan Mitchell. Spider Mitchell is built different. 24 years old, and he's already in the playoffs three times. Twice he went into the second round, and right now he's in the second round battling out with the Clippers. Spider Mitchell. First time in the NBA playoffs. Went against Oklahoma City Thunder with Russell Westbrook, with Carlo, Carmelo Anthony, with PG-13. Sent them home. Second round, second time in the playoffs. Dropped two 50-point games. Not one 50-point, two 50-point games against the Denver Nuggets. Shooting it out with Jamal Murray. And right now, uh, this year in the playoffs, there was a stretch. Four quarters, not in the same game. Uh, I think it's uh, third quarter and fourth quarter of game one. And first quarter of second quarter of game two against the Clippers. In those four quarters, which is a full game, 48 minutes, he scored 59 points in 48 minutes. So he had a 59-point game. <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> This guy is so talented. He's not that tall. Right? He's only about 6'3", 6'4". So he's built like Dwayne Wade. Very similar game. Strong. Can drive to the rim. Super strong. Can finish super high level. Slam dunk champ. And can shoot the lights out on all three levels. Right? Crossover. Um, at a stop at a dime pull up three or mid-range or floater or just dunk over you or finish either hand he is he's such a scorer can score at will much better shooter than um, John Morant or Zion whom I just mentioned and this elevates his game at such a high level when it comes to the playoffs he he is already a superstar. He's not nearing superstardom. I think he is already a superstar. And Stephen A. Smith just proclaimed him like a couple of days ago the greatest player in jazz history. In the franchise with John Stockton, the all-time assist and steal leader, and Carl Malone, the second all-time scoring leader. <laughs> That's that tells you how respected and feared and special Donovan Mitchell is. Number two, Jason Tatum. I've been watching Jason Tatum since he came to the lead. He's special. 6'10", with long arms, can defend at a high level, can score at will. And each year he just takes his games to be better and better. He's consistent scorer, right? He he can score at all three levels. Can finish around the worm with his such a big body and long arms, six ten, body frame. Can score in the mid range. Got a sweet pullback J. Got a sweet back step back J. Can score on three point line catcher and shoot or create his own shot. And he is getting better and better, and elevates his game in the playoffs. 
without Kyrie Irving, he took LeBron to seven games in 2018 NBA playoffs uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Right, dunked on LeBron James. One of the few players in recent NBA memory that dunked on LeBron James. This year went head-to-head against uh, KD and the Nets. Dropped 50 points to win their only game against the Nets. Had a 53-point game. Had a 60-point game. Had a bunch of 40-point games. Can be that solo scorer. Can share the ball with Jalen Brown. The combination of his talent and ability to score and defend at a high level and fearlessness to go against the best of the best in LeBron and KD and other other superstars in the league. Giannis, Kawhi, tearing them up. Tatum is already a superstar, just like Mitchell, except he's bigger than Mitchell. He's naturally more gifted than Mitchell. But this first player, first place, best player under 25 has to be Luka Dantich. Luka is so special. Played ball since he was 16 years old in Europe. Has all the EuroLeague moves. You know, Eurostep, floaters, bank shots, step back three, all the handle, know how to draw fouls, know how to slow your steps when you're driving to the rim so that you get your defender off the position and then you go for that layup. The ability to control the tempo of the game. This is so important because there's only three guys in the NBA who can dominate the tempo of the game. Luka Dantich, Chris Paul, and LeBron James. They can dominate and control how fast they want the game go. Luka Dantich, in his three years in the league, this is what this is the type of numbers he's pulling up. As a sophomore in the NBA, Luka Dantich averaged 29 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, Toked the best team, quote-unquote, in the league, in the Clippers, to six games by himself without Kristaps Porzingis for much of the series. Had a game-winner over the Clippers to tie up the series. Had 42-point games. And right after that series, I'm already like, this Luka Dantich kid has done something Kevin Durant has never done in the NBA playoffs. Already. And this year... Taking his game to even to the next level in the playoffs. Without Chris Porzingis showing up for much of a series. Porzingis only averaged 13 points against the Clippers this year. He's a new pandemic P now. <laughs> Luka went off basically by himself with Tim Howard Jr. as his second best player. Took the Clippers to seven games. Had the Clippers... Down 2-0. And then down 3-2. And then in game 7. Dropped 46 points. And still lost. But no one is saying he's the reason they lost. Luka Doncic. At 20 years old. And now this year. 21 years old. 
is the best player at his age ever. LeBron was never as accomplished as Lucas at Lucas' age. LeBron didn't go all the way, taking the one of the best teams in the playoffs to seven games. He never done that. Michael never did that. Michael, when he went to the playoffs, he got kicked by the best teams. Luka Doncic is so gifted. Not only at scoring the ball. And he's not even a good shooter. He shoots like 30% from the three-point line. He shoots like 70% from the free throw line. And he turns the ball over. And he's a defensive liability most of the time. But he's still so good. Because he can score at will when he wants to. When he asserts himself. No one can stop him. The Clippers have eight guys on Luka. They have. And those are great defenders. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, uh, Nicholas Batum. They got Zubak on him. They got Rondo on him. They got Terrence Mann on him sometimes. And Luka dropped 40 points on all day heads. And he can orchestrate the offense as well as anyone in the league. And he is just so good in the playoffs. It's unbelievable. Because I don't think if you give Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, if you give Kevin Durant Tim Hardaway Jr. He can't take the Clippers seven game. If you give LeBron Tim Hardaway Jr. Even LeBron can't do it. Luka is so good. Not only is he the best player under 25. I think by the end of next year, next season, after next year's playoffs, there's a good chance he might be in the conversation to be the best player in the league. All right, that is all for today's Cross and Hoop. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.